Well, when I was a kid, there was no book in the Bible that I liked to read more than the book of Judges. I mean, think about it. If you know the book of Judges, this could be every young kid's favorite book. It has action. It has battles. It has detailed descriptions of assassinations. I mean, you're a young kid. This is cool stuff. The language is simple. It's graphic. It's amusing. It's even shocking at times. I mean, I remember just when I was growing up, why couldn't the whole Bible have been written like this? Man, if Leviticus was was written like this, I'd read it every day. I mean, but for as engaging as the book of Judges is to read, it truly is a tragic book in the Bible. Because it shows how God's people, after making a vow to be faithful to Yahweh at the end of the book of Joshua, it shows how they just couldn't do it. They were unfaithful from the start. They make a vow, we are going to serve God alone. And then right away, they didn't live out what they said that they believed. The judges, you know, who, who are these judges that the book is named after? They were, they were men and women that God raised up to watch over the people. They settled disputes, they made legal rulings, and they even organized defenses against attacking nations. So they were like military generals every once in a while. The book of Judges is filled with, with very colorful and quite interesting individuals. I mean, in chapter 3, you have this, this King Eglon, who is described as being really fat. He has a gory end to his life while he's in the restroom. No, not now. Everybody's turned to Judges 3, aren't they? <laughs> it has stories of, of brave warrior women, like Jael and the wise to the world prophetess and judge Deborah. It has mysterious people like Shamgar. Who is Shamgar? He's only mentioned in one verse. Then there's the tragic story of of Jephthah, who made a really unwise vow to God that cost him the life of his daughter, who was his only child. Judges has the life story of Gideon, who had a roller coaster relationship with God. And of course, who can forget Samson, the lovable, dim witted hero who was completely unfaithful to God, but God used him anyway? What a cast of characters we have in this book. I mean, even people like Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, we know nothing of what they did, but it must have been good enough to get their name in the Bible. Because here they are. Yet what we find in the early verses of chapter 6 in Judges is unlike anything else in the rest of the book. See, in Judges chapter 6, toward the middle of the chapter, we meet Gideon. Now, if you've ever been to Sunday school as a kid, you can't forget who Gideon is. Everybody knows who Gideon is and, and, and all, of, all of what he did. Now, his story isn't as exciting as some of the others. But right before Gideon, we have this man. A lot of us skip over these verses. And this passage that that Sam read to us a few minutes ago. You see, there was this man that God called 
to do one thing for him. We don't even know his name. Yet, we know what he did. See, in Judges 6, we find God's people in a very difficult situation. They're starving, and they're being oppressed by the Midianites. And it was their fault, basically. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 6, verse 1 says, And again, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. It's their own fault that they're in trouble, but they cry out to God to rescue them. See, sometimes, let's, let's be honest, we do things that might not be wrong in our opinion. But it's God's opinion of right and wrong that really matters, isn't it? That's where God's people were in chapter 6 of Judges. So in verse 7, the people cry out to God to help us. And so the Lord, being faithful as he is, he sent them somebody. He sent them a prophet. Now, we know of only one other prophet in the book of Judges, and that's Deborah. Prophets had a unique calling in the Bible. Prophets had direct revelation from God, and they were given the authority by God to speak on God's behalf. So prophets usually weren't the most popular people around. Because God had something to say, they're going to say it through the prophets, and it A lot of times it wasn't the happiest of messages. So in verse 8, when God sent the people a prophet, it probably wasn't the help that they were hoping for. See, the people didn't want a prophet. They wanted a tough guy. They wanted a general. They wanted a mighty man of valor, a hero, who could kick out these Midianites. A prophet? God, why'd you send us a prophet? We need a hero. We need a, 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 a military guy. But God sent this unnamed person to the people to give the people a message. And I'm going to read this to you again. It starts in verse 8. This is the message. God says to the people through this unnamed prophet, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not pay reverence to the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not given heed to my voice. What's God saying here? He said, listen, y'all. I don't know if God's from the south, but listen, y'all. You were slaves in Egypt and I freed you. I took care of you in the wilderness, gave you something to eat every day. I gave you the land that you're living in. I've done all these things for you, and all I ask is that you worship me. All I ask is that I'm your God. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it after all God had done for them. See, their deliverance wasn't going to come through a mighty man of valor, a hero. Their deliverance was going to come through their obedience to God. Sometimes we in the church are saying, we need someone to rescue us. When the real issue 
is that we ourselves just need to be obedient to God. But we want that responsibility on somebody else. Now see, the people probably weren't ready to hear this message from this unnamed prophet. Because even in this very descriptive book in Judges, I mean, there's lots of descriptions about stuff. We don't have any description that they even listened to him. God called this man, we don't know who he is, to do one thing. He did it, and there's not even a mention about the response from the people. So, so regardless of their lack of response, this unnamed prophet was faithful to do what God asked him to do. Now, don't you feel just a little sorry for this guy? Think about it. The book of Judges tells us the names of all kinds of people that did crazy, unfaithful, and even embarrassing things. And here's this guy who was asked by God to do one thing which he did faithfully and his name gets left out of the Bible. This poor guy. I mean, to have your name in the Bible. I mean, talk about who's who, right? Well, yes, my name's in the Bible. This guy's name is nowhere. We don't even know who he is. His identity is a complete mystery to us. So maybe this just begs the question, what's more important, for people to know our name or to know the legacy of our faithfulness? Whether we want to admit it or not, a lot of us spend a lot of time doing a lot of self-promotion. Think about this. We love when our Twitter or Instagram posts get a bunch of responses because that means we were popular. And come on, everybody, how many of you have counted the number of likes and comments in your Facebook pictures? I see, I see the expressions on your faces. Well, I got 100 likes for my birthday, but my friend only got 70. At least I got more. See, we guard our reputations very carefully. We want the right people to know the right things about us. Maybe we want to be known as an expert in a certain area. Sometimes, I've noticed that when things are going well in a church, pastors are tempted all the time to take credit for all the growth. But who are we to take credit for something God does in anything? None of us are. See, I think we can learn a lot from this unnamed prophet in the book of Judges. I mean, although he's not officially listed as a judge because he didn't administrate disputes, he didn't lead people. He did do something very judge-like. He lived his faithfulness by speaking from a position of human, not by speaking from a position of human authority, but he spoke on behalf of God. God told him to say something, and he didn't put his own stuff into it. He just did the job. See, our faithfulness to God shouldn't be on parade for everybody to see. We like to do that every once in a while, don't we? 
Well, look at me. I'm sacrificing my vacation days to go on a mission trip. Aren't I wonderful? Or, oh, I'm so tired. Y'all, I just spent three hours in prayer. Who are we showing off to? Or, oh, y'all, I have to tell you this. Look what I just did. I just led someone to Jesus. Yay, me. Is that how we're living our lives? To try to out-Jesus other people? I mean, we shouldn't be faithful to Christ so that people will admire us. We're faithful to Christ because we love him and because he tells us to be faithful. When we make our faithfulness to Jesus about ourselves and about our reputations, we're actually revealing our unfaithfulness. It's like the football player who makes a tackle and then celebrates. I'm like, well, dude, isn't that why you were out there in the first place? Why is he celebrating for doing something he's supposed to do? So why do we in the church celebrate faithfulness to God? That's what we're supposed to do. I mean, pretty soon we're going to have our own celebration dance because we said a prayer. That's not what God calls us to do. In the classic book, The Imitation of Christ, it was John Wesley's favorite devotional book. Thomas Akempis writes that we should love to be unknown and to be esteemed as nothing. We should strive to be unknown, he said. Because if we're unknown, then Christ is center stage in our lives. If people are talking about us, they're not talking about Jesus. See, we're trained by the world to promote ourselves. I mean, we have to make sure our resumes are perfect, right? Phrased the right way so that without lying, we can... Take it right to the edge, right? Because we want ourselves to look great in front of everybody. Charles Edward Montague, an English novelist and essayist, wrote in a book uh, entitled Disenchantment this phrase. You may have heard it other places, but it came from, from someone from England. There's no limit to what we can do so long as we don't care a straw who gets the credit for it. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a church like that? When do you think we'll ever learn? Are we ever going to get it? What is God going to have to do to get this through to us? In Acts chapter 14, we see Paul and, and Barnabas in the city of Lystra. Paul had just healed a crippled man and the, and the crowd's began to shout, the gods came down in human form. I mean, these folks had never seen someone get healed before. They thought Barnabas was Zeus. They thought Paul was the god Hermes. So the people start honoring them and preparing to make sacrifices to them. So Paul and Barnabas had a decision to make. Remember in Return of the Jedi, you, you nerds out there, when when 
the Ewoks thought C-3PO was a god. Remember that? Yeah, I see those heads. Go ahead and affirm your nerdiness. Just do it. They used that, didn't they? Well, Paul and Barnabas had the same situation going on. Only they were horrified by it. They acted as good Jews did. They tore their clothes in grief. See, they had a chance when, when these people thought that they were gods. They had a chance to have a lot of powerful influence in that region. But they knew themselves well enough and they knew God well enough to know that the ability to heal wasn't their own. They didn't heal the crippled man. God did through them. It wasn't about their reputation that was important. It was the conversion of the people in that city. See, if we really admit it, sometimes we want to be the one called Zeus. We want to be the God in the midst of the people. The one who can come and save everybody. We want to be the one who's named in the judges. Yet, if we're truly following Jesus, we'd rather he be glorified through us. We wouldn't want any glory that belongs to him. See, long ago, in the days of the judges, the Lord, the Lord asked a man to do something pretty simple. He said, go give the people a message for me. And he did. Who this man is, who he was, doesn't really matter. All that does matter is that this man was faithful. And right after this passage about this unnamed person is the story of Gideon. And I don't think it's an accident that they're right next to each other. Everybody knows about Gideon. He put his fleece out. That's how it started. God used him in powerful ways. But what we also know about Gideon is that by the end of his life, he was worshiping idols. And he was completely unfaithful to God. So what matters to us? That people know our names? Or that God is glorified through us? That's a question each one of us needs to ask ourselves. And that's a question that each one of us needs to have the courage to answer honestly. Think of it this way. If Jesus is truly our life, as Paul says in Colossians 3, if we've truly given our lives to Jesus, then it doesn't matter who knows our name. If we've truly given our lives to Jesus, all that should matter to us is that people know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And if Jesus is truly, truly at the center of our lives, and self-promotion isn't even part of our vocabulary. You don't even think about it because we want people to see Jesus. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whether it's at home, in a restaurant, at work, at Kroger, wherever you are, do people see you or do they see Jesus? Jesus. 
That's a tough question to answer. But it's one that all of us have to answer. Let's pray.